but yeah, it's just you're you're kind of welcomed into this this kind of questioning space um, where you're, you're you're not you're not there to find every one of the answers. You're there to kind of experience these folks' stories, experience the 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 kind of beauty of of this play, the music, the dance, and all of it kind of harmonizing together. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Here we are, another week and another play to talk about and kind of get each other's thoughts, but then also all your thoughts as well about. It's a great privilege to talk about scripts. It's a great privilege to read scripts that are wildly divergent. We continue in our quest to talk about scripts that are nothing like each other by yep. this week talking about a kind of an avant-garde experimental play from the turn of the millennia. And it, it was great fun to read. It was it was sort of fun because last season we did mini month, right? And we, we yeah. said that we were gonna do more one acts or at least some one acts, and now we are. Yeah, we've we've arrived at, at another one act and this it was is it was now. That was then yeah. and we said that now would happen and this is now. We are prophets of a sort. Uh-huh. <laughs> we just actually we just keep our we just keep our word. We just oh yeah, I we suppose said yeah, we're not it really. And we did it. That's there's nothing and prophetic. Low, it's just like baseline good person. <laughs> <laughs> like the people in this play, um, they are some of them at least are good people. <laughs> Segue a into letters. statement. <laughs> the people in this play are good people. <laughs> Well, they are, and they are the people in the play Letters from Cuba by Maria Irene Fornes. That's right. This is a play that runs about an hour. It's very short. It reads very quickly because, as you'll discover from our conversation, if you haven't already read the play, much of the play happens outside of the dialogue, which admittedly makes reading it a challenge. And if you read the scripts in advance of this episode, and right now you're sitting somewhere in your car with, you know, with it over the radio or running with speaker headphones in however you listen if you're sitting there like why did Jacob and Jackson make me read this play that doesn't just a bunch of you know so it's a very hard play to read all that to say especially if you have no imagination but if you have imagination (laughs) that is Jackson speaking for himself I no script listeners I know you have imagination (laughs) I'm gonna throw you quickly under the bus here (laughs) Whoa! Uh, <laughs> but it is it is a play that requires some uh, imagination, some ability to kind of track the stage directions that they have in it. But I think also the freedom to leave those completely behind in production. So I am excited to get to talk about the play. Um, however, before we do, we do want to take just a second and thank all of our patrons who have headed over to patreon.com slash podcast and become patrons of the show. Thank you all so much for jumping on board and helping us continue to be able 
able to have these conversations. As you all know, if you've been around the podcast for a little while, we love having these conversations with each other and all of you out there in podcast land. Um, alas, it is not a free endeavor. There are some costs associated with the show. So if you're looking for a way to help out the show, you can head over, head on over to patreon.com slash no script podcast. You'll find a couple of different tiers of patronship and at, at just that $1 level is it, that helps out the show enormously, even at that, at that $1 amount and you get access to patron only posts and a number of other cool uh, patron rewards over there. So you're looking to help out NoScript and ensure that we continue getting to have these unscripted conversations, head on over to patreon.com slash podcast, and we will see you over there. And now, back to the script. Here we go. All right. Maria Irene Fornes, she is a Cuban-American kind of well-known avant-garde playwright and director, especially from the latter half of the 20th century. She is a nine-time Obie Award winner. That is an impressive shelf of Obie yeah. Awards. It is for <laughs> many different things, for playwriting, for like kind of play creating in terms of writing and directing, and then for directing specifically. She is known really well not for this play. There are other plays that are more popular of hers. Um, Mud is a fairly popular play by her. And then, of course, uh, Fifu and Her Friends, which lots of students study in college. And then uh, and What of the Night is her Pulitzer Prize finalist play. And I, I suspect we'll come back to Fornes one of these days and do one of those more well-known plays. But I came across this play as I was reading through One Axe, and a friend recommended that I read this play. It's not a playwright that I was very familiar with at the time. This was several, maybe even many years ago. Um, and I fell in love with it. I just thought it was really charming and delightful. It's it's based on three decades of letters from Forney's brother who was living in Cuba. So as Jackson will tell you, that mirrors pretty closely the basic structure of the play. It premiered at the Signature Theater Company out of New York in the year 2000 as part of an entire season dedicated to Forney's. And this is a theater that does entire seasons dedicated to playwrights of the caliber of Sam Shepard, etc. So that should tell you what company she's in, even if you've never heard of her. Since that production, it's had a little bit of a regional theater life, um, not as much as her other plays, but it's been out there a little bit. There's some chance that you might have at least seen it playing at it, especially in a larger city. Um, Fornes has a very unique style. It's sort of poetic. It's sort of sentimental, very non-realistic, and it's really characterized by each of her plays being almost nothing like the other plays. If this is the only play you've read at our recommendation, then I got to be real honest with you. You have no idea about the rest of her body of work. It's just, <laughs> they're, they're very wildly divergent in general. She's a little bit more like Pinter in that the words are not necessarily as important as sort of the sphere of the action and the, the, the movement and the, the imagery around it. Uh, very much not like Mamet. She's more like Carol Churchill than Eugene O'Neill. She's more like Sam Beckett than she is like Sam Shepard. But those are just <laughs> very general statements about a really, really diverse body of work on her part. Yeah, yeah. And and the the, the kind of emotion that she evokes from these scenes that, that doesn't necessarily come like hit you off of the page, but is 
a rich ground for actors to get to play in is 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 so so beautiful i think in this play um the the action of this play as jacob said kind of uh follows the the uh, pillars of the letters written by Luis. Uh, Luis is Fran's brother in the play. Uh, Fran is uh, the character around which many other characters rotate. However, I believe she has the fewest lines in the play. Um, she, uh, her, her brother Luis is writing her these messages uh, from Cuba. As Jacob said, uh, the letters received over 10 years. That's that's what I would imagine that to be. Um, because during the course of the play, we discover that Luis has a son, son named Enrique. Um, and so there's about 10 years of time. It's interesting, though, because the set is such a, an important part of this. The play takes place in two places basically simultaneously there is the main stage set which is a new york apartment in which lives uh fran mark and joseph and then uh like a, a some sort of building supervisor or or friend of theirs named jerry guy, yeah something like that yeah yeah named jerry who shows up for a couple scenes and then uh, happening uh, just simultaneously and above that set on like a rooftop in Cuba is the other storyline of the play, which is uh, Luis and his son Enrique and Gerardo, a, a, a friend played by the same actor who plays Jerry, interestingly. So these two storylines kind of uh, happen, flow, flow along with each other. Characters drop in and out of these two areas. You can walk on the ceiling of the apartment if you're visualizing that um, along with me as well. So the, the characters kind of flow through both areas of the sets, but they are distinct. The roof above, above the main stage and then the stage itself. And so that's a um, two-story set, and it's pretty yeah. necessary to at least how Fornis has imagined the show that the set is two stories. And that's another reason why this play has not had as wide of a life as some of her other plays. It's a one act and it requires a very specific, complicated set. Yeah, yeah, a very technically specific set. Um, the two uh, storylines, other than the kind of writing back and forth, um, in, in Fran, Mark, and Joseph's world, um, they are living in an apartment in New York. They're all artists of various types. They, I believe there's a visual artist, a a, uh, a performance artist, and then uh, Fran is a dancer. Um, that's a pretty important part of the show. Many of her scenes involve dance. Um, they're part of a Martha Graham style of dance, which I had to go and look up, but it's a very uh, evocative kind of um form dancing, not necessarily like uh, partner dancing, but there are a couple duet dances in in the in the play that that happen. These characters are kind of rotating around each other in kind of humdrum life. Um, Mark and Joseph have a number of scenes where they're talking to each other about how uh, Fran isn't around as much anymore. She is uh, out in the city doing lessons or or something. They're not really Perhaps sure. Dating someone. Perhaps they don't really dating know, and someone. We actually never find out. Right, yeah. I don't know why Fran's <laughs> not around the apartment much anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Mark and Joseph both attest to love Fran at one point or another in the play, and there's some there's some drama around that, um, a little bit of back and forth, although it, it kind of diffuses quickly. Um, well, and it resolves with Fran and Joe sort of mutually having feelings for each other, but that's communicated entirely through dance. Yes. Um, in one of the dancing scenes later in the play. So of the love triangle, the Mark section is not fulfilled, but the mm -hmm. Joe and Fran section is fulfilled. Yep. 
Meanwhile, in, in Cuba, Luis is trying to get to America um, to, 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 some, to some degree. Certainly some of his letters rotate around that. Others are just kind of uh, updates about his life. Uh, we get the update that Enrique is born, uh, his son. And uh, eventually Enrique becomes more and more a part of, of the storyline as, uh, as they're trying to leave Cuba and get to New York. Um, a number of letters... Uh, are talking about different plans, trying to get through Mexico or trying to sail to New York. Um, Gerardo comes in as a friend who is a part of the, the, the military in Cuba. And, um, and there's, there's some conversation between him and Luis as they're, they're both kind of talking about the importance of belonging to, to a home and the importance of trying to get away to another place. Um, and then a, a kind of final, uh, pretty long monologue from Enrique crossing between the spaces. He enters the apartment, but he's not physically there yet, I don't think. Um, and he's kind of talking about his relationship with his aunt, uh, who is uh, Fran. And Luis does that too. He has a couple of scenes where he crosses into the New York space and dances with Fran. And mm-hmm. I, she doesn't tell us very specifically, but I don't think he's actually visiting the city. I think it's some sort of metaphysical transportation to the apartment. Yeah, I would agree. And we do know that uh, Fran visits them, though, in Cuba, offstage, in none of the letters or anything. Uh, it's just Enrique talking about her visit. So we know stuff happens offstage. Um, uh, and uh, and the, the play ends, I believe, with Louise and Enrique making it to New York. Maybe. Um, and, well, and, certainly uh, one interpretation. <laughs> that's one interpretation. And, uh, and, uh, 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 the, the, yeah, the reunion of the family unit. So as you've seen, it's a, there's this struggle to do this kind of a conversation, which is a lot about textual criticism, about structuring and character building and the, the world of the words that the playwright weaves and how that appears on the page. And this is a play that's not much about most of that stuff. Maybe the character right. building a little bit, but but not so much the rest of it. Textual criticism, it's it's tough with a play like this because the text is it's kind of separate. Not not in every instance, but there's so much of the play that has life beyond the words that the playwright has put on the page. And so a conversation like this is hard to have, and we're going to do our best, but we're talking about one of theater's best scripts, and this is an incredibly good play. It's just going to be hard to have this conversation in the same way we always have. So we're going to do our best, but we, you know, we'll get what we get out of it, as we always do. It's an unscripted conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and as you heard, as, as I was trying to synopsize, I think that's one of the, the challenges and beauties of this play, is it's a play kind of focused on these um sort of real life vernacular nothing scenes right like they're just like these two guys in a living room talking about how they're both in love with the same woman um the the first uh, or maybe it's not exactly the first scene but the first no it is um they're talking about uh how to write a good poem mark and joseph get into this kind of back and forth about how to write a good poem and it's just 
it's just like a really beautiful little section on that. And it stops. Like we haven't really, I don't even think we learned their names in this scene. These two characters just talk about how uh, one wants to write a good poem. One tells him how to write a good poem. We discover that the other one, Mark has, has been, has been writing poems and has been writing them frequently. And that's scene one. <laughs> yeah. And then these two guys end up being sort of side characters for much of the rest of the play. <laughs> right. Um, right. And it, it's a great scene as so many of these scenes are really, really, Really strong scenes and finding the narrative that weaves through them is a little bit more of a challenge. Scene one is so great because when when the discussion of how to write a good poem comes up, Joe offers a an example of a great poem by Emily Dickinson as the answer to how to write a good poem. I'll tell you what a good poem is. And I think lots of poetry professors or teachers might say that it's fairly hard to tell somebody how to write a good poem, but you know, it yeah. it's one of those kinds of things. And I love how that is represented in that little snippet of conversation. So let's, let's, let's talk about the, the dance in it. Um, there's quite a few scenes that, that are kind of given over to, uh, just, uh, physical storytelling to, to dancing, um, to uh, certainly most of Fran's character is told through dance. Um, so, so, uh, yeah, what, what, what do you think the, um, maybe, maybe we'll broaden it too. We have, there's dance, but then also just the physical storytelling of this play that happens up and down between the two sets off stage, on stage through the doors and out the doors. Yeah. I mean, this play would be so exciting to work on as a director and especially as an ensemble, a team of actors, a production team, because it, it lives so much in the body in dance, in there's several kind of movement scenes. I'm thinking of the moment where Fran is on the ladder on the rooftop and sort of reaching out for her brother Louise and falling back down. I, <laughs> I pulled away from my microphone there, everybody. I'm sorry. I was doing the back down the ladder thing. So my voice faded out. I apologize. D going back down the ladder. So there's, there's all of those elements. And what we don't get from Fornis is the... What is committed in those moments? And and so that might be one of the things that's exciting to figure out. For example, this scene, the scene one, Mark and Joseph, they're talking about how to write a good poem. They talk about poetry. There's a lovely moment where one of them sort of waxes poetic about how poetry, like all hard things, is just sort of formed inside of you and how if words had feelings, they would might try to seek out other words to create all this great... It's Lovely, lovely stuff. And then at the end of the scene, you get this stage direction. Mark puts the rose in his teeth and dances as Cuban music begins to play. Fran enters and the three sit down to breakfast as lights crossfade to Cuba. So what what's the dancing about? Right. What's supposed to what is he supposed to communicate, if anything? What how long is the dancing supposed to go? How does the dancing interact with the set or the other characters? Is there a subtext to the dancing? These are questions that are left largely for the team. And in some ways, that's very exciting. Yeah. And in some ways, it's very frightening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is a contrast to to some of the other playwrights we've talked about so far this season and certainly throughout the podcast is that it's this, this like takes a good solid step back and just has the writer 
trusting the, the the team to come up with stuff. Now, the first the first production, or at least the the copy of the script that I have, is the production that the writer directed the piece, so that there might be something to do with that. Um, but I think there's there's also this this uh, kind of symbiotic relationship between the the playwright and the the future production teams, where she's saying, you know, this is this is open. This is very open for you to fill in how you want to tell the story, what you want. Even even you just talked about them sitting down to breakfast while the scene uh, progresses above them. There's a couple different scenes in this play where you could have the freedom to have something happening in a different room while while the main action is happening in, in whichever other room there is. Yeah, and in amidst all of this incredible movement and dance which tells so much of the story itself are these really down-to-earth, um, even sort of delightfully simple human exchanges. Some of the negative reviews of the play have seen some of the exchanges of the play as being kind of banal, sort of uh, uh, romantic comedy sitcom-esque. That, I think that's a misinterpretation of the text. I think they're sort of intentionally human and real and simple. There's a, this sort of lovely exchange between Luis and his son Enrique on the roof as they talk about Mars, the planet Mars, and they talk about what blushing is. And it's just pure human interaction Captured the moment where Joe and Mark exchange that they both love Fran and they both try to communicate that no, they really love Fran. You just love Fran as a friend. I really love Fran. And they're both trying to have that conversation at once. The great scene where Jerry bursts in and the whole scene is just him <laughs> explaining how he's going to argue this parking ticket with the with the city. Uh, the the scene where Gerardo falls and they go get the Ben Gay to to rub into his muscles. I mean, it, moments that are just they're almost non sequiturs in some way, but they're beautifully down to earth, capturing moments that are in some ways in contrast to the higher uh, dance physicality visualization of the play. Well, and the and the big themes that are kind of that are happening but not being talked about, right? Like there's there's allusions to the the struggles of immigration uh, that that Luis is going through. There's, I mean, we like you say, we don't really know what is what Fran is doing <laughs> out out in the city, but certainly the the uh, the struggle of artists in the city. All three of the characters in the New York apartment are artists trying to pursue their their art in various forms, and and yet you know very much like life. It's not the topic of conversation all the time. Like, for the most part, these people are just existing together. We're aware as, as an audience of these deep underlying themes, but they don't need to be directly talked about all the time. We're kind of welcomed into the, these, these kind of strange behind-closed-doors conversations with, with, with each of the characters and just invited to experience them for a little while. And there's this this balance, this sort of back and forth between Cuba and New York in terms of physical location, but then between the, the almost surreal movement, almost performance art kind of physical storytelling, and then the kind of simple, lovely, eloquent in their own kind of basicness 
conversations. Like, here's a stage direction from later in the play. These are all characters who are not in scenes together for the most part other than this. And they're not in the same physical location at all. And it's questionable whether they really exist in the same time. Uh, but Enrique begins to sing I Love a Piano and accompanies himself on the ukulele. Jerry enters simultaneously through the hallway door with Mark through the bedroom door to join Enrique for the end of the dance. Luis appears in Cuba dancing on his own with them. So there's this, right? This incredible ensemble dance and movement moment across time and space to I love a piano on the ukulele. Right. Right? There's that. And then there's speeches like this, Joe, from earlier in the play, actually more like middle of the play. They're talking about how Fran hasn't been around the apartment that much. Joseph says, yeah, that's true. Schedule can ruin things. Like sometimes I work in the morning and you work in the afternoon and she works Sundays or, yeah, that's what it is. It's silly, but well, it's true. Schedule can ruin relationships. <laughs> Those are two things that could be from different plays. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like like the, especially Mark and jo- Joseph give me this like, you know, two guys in a trash can feel, right? Like the, the, the pinter play or something like that where like just it's, it's a couple folks talking to each other about something that is not the action of the plot. But but then there are other things that that are that are these deep, rich experiences um, I think the, the 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 one conversation that stands out to me as as not really either of those things and deeply, uh, or, or and fascinating on on many many levels is the conversation between Luis and Gerardo, um, because that is one where you could you could there is some tension, right? Uh, Gerardo is wearing a military uniform, um, and and yet there's there is no tension there. I, these are clearly two old friends who are who are able to talk to each other freely about the possibility of leaving Cuba and and immigrating, um, and and about the the benefits of staying and 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 knowing where you live and the people where you live and that. That scene, that scene for me is one of those ones that, that I'll walk away from this play from, at least at least in the reading. I'm sure there are many visual images in this play that stick in the kind of the retinal image in your in your eye. But that that conversation stands out to me. And, it, and it's one of those scenes that's grounded in something like realism. Now, a playwright like this really balks against any kind of good categorization. So I use it very loosely. But in that situation, it's just Luis and Gerardo on the roof or in Cuba. It's not really clear if they're on a roof in Cuba or if just the the roof is Cuba. Right, right. <laughs> but they're in Cuba, and I think they're on a roof because he falls down it at one point, but I, I'm <laughs> honestly not sure. <laughs> anyway, they're just sitting there just talking about immigration, about what it's like to immigrate to the United States, about how beautiful where they live is and how important it is to be in a place called home. There's no magical, no pseudo-surrealist element to that. In the same way that the quote I just read from the Joe and Mark scene, where they're just talking about how it can be tough to maintain relationships when your schedules don't align, right? I mean, these are just simple human conversations written by somebody with a really nice kind of plain and beautiful outlook on those human conversations. But they live in this world of something like realism. And then there's the world of the magic pseudo-surrealist that surrounds it and flourishes around it. And while, and we've said a couple of times, it feels like those things could be different plays. But there's something, and it's some magic she's achieved, and she actually achieves in some of her other plays too, that I can't 
really put my fingers on <laughs> right, in a right. good way that makes it all weave together into this cohesive, warm experience. Yeah. And I think, I, I mean, th- there are all sorts of reasons for why that is. Certainly the just the, the craft of the playwright is a big reason. I think the dance is another one. Like, you you, you get the sense from when from reading this play even but certainly if you were to watch this play that you're kind of being woven as as a as a watcher as well by by the dancers by this kind of flowing all over the stage up and down the ladder and there's there's a rope ladder too that people are climbing up and down the, the there's a false wall that is used at least once in the play several false walls <laughs> yeah yep yep and 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 so many different entrances there's there's a number of chase scenes where characters kind of jump out of windows and go through doors and, and roll around so it, it is this kind of this this weaving this flowing of of energy by the actors that 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 suffuse and support the 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 words themselves of the play and it it works so that the magic that occurs in the story, I'm trying to differentiate the the stage magic that she uses so eloquently and effectively throughout with the, the, the sort of magical moments of the story. Because there's the stage magic of how the characters are able to walk through walls and enter these all these other spaces. And then there's the fact that in some way this stuff is happening in the story too, right? Like Luis and Enrique... Somehow, whether you meet, whether you think it's a dream or you think it's a hallucination or you think there's truly some sort of magic metaphysical transportation, they visit the New York City apartment and and Luis dances with Fran and things like that. And then there's even simpler magical moments, right? There's this great part of one of Luis's letters to Fran where he talks about how they were going to pick up her package from America. And as they were walking to pick up the package, his wife sees a woman in these gray stockings and she says, oh, I'd really like to have gray stockings like that. And they go to pick up the package and sure enough, in the package, gray stockings. Coincidence, maybe, but in a play filled with so much intentional uh, steps away from just pure coincidence, it doesn't feel like it. Right, yeah, definitely. The, the and the, And there's also just... Like the the ways that they like use the they use the set as well to do those same things. There's there's a great scene where they they walk a letter onto the roof of the apartment and drop the letter down through into the space, and then both characters are speaking about or speaking the letter at the same time or dancing at the same time, depending on how you want to interpret the moment. Um, so yeah, it just it just continues throughout the play this this weaving through of 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 energy from across time and space somehow. And so what what does it all come together into, Jackson? I mean, I don't think that a story where characters do things and come to grapple against each other and and it's definitely not like a well-made structure for sure. But even in like what we would normally consider a dramatic narrative, you know, characters pursuing goals that come in opposition to each other. I, I'm not even sure that that is really a, what she's trying to achieve. There's some other almost ghostly commentary uh, and and life of the play, romantic, sentimental, beautiful, love letter kind of 
kind of thing that she's pursuing. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that. I I, I almost had the the idea or the 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 thought that it reminded me of a uh, of an oral history, like like you went in and you're just like accounting people's lives um, because there is, there is emotion, right? Eventually we, we detect the motion of this family. Uh, uh, Fran, Fran has moved away from Cuba and, and Luis is trying to join her that, that does resolve by the end of the play. Um, there's or <laughs> maybe, maybe <laughs> an interpretation of the end of the play is, is that it's resolved. Um, so, so there, there are like things to hang your hat on with that, but they are, they're, they're loose things as evidenced by our maybes. Um, and so I think it is, uh, I I like the idea, the term love letter as well. This kind of like love letter to a relationship, to a time of life, to living in an apartment with friends as you all pursue art. That's a love letter to a type of a time of life. Um, and, and, and the, the, the confluence of those points in, in the mundanity of life. And one place where I see a confluence where it seems like the various threads, both on the theatrical level of dance and movement and words and visual imagery, and they'll come together, and the various story narratives come together, is this kind of loose reflection on love. And that's that's not a very specific thing to say, I'm aware. A lot of plays (laughs) deal with love in some capacity is at the, the the center of the drama but but this play seems to have a really nice um like you know the trails cross an intersection of familial love the love that lewis and fran share as brother and sister the love that lewis and enrique share as father and son there's that represented and waxed poetic upon both in movement and in text then there is uh, romantic love represented, right? I mean, the love triangle that exists between Fran and Joe and Mark. And love in that way is waxed poetic upon, both in dance, the beautiful, what I'm sure is just an enrapturing moment where Joe and Fran finally dance together towards the end of the play, what simply must be an incredible button of movement and dance, in, I think, in order for the play to work. That, there's that line of it, romantic love. And platonic love, too. Friendship love. The love between Lewis and Gerardo. The love between Joe and Mark. Whatever strange love Jerry brings into this situation. (laughs) And that is waxed poetic upon in in text and in movement as well. And so it does seem... It, it seems as if it must be intentional to include each of those pieces of this sort of loose reflection on love in a play this short. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And to have the, the, the weight of Enrique's final monologue, or really soliloquy, um, about his love and his relationship with his Aunt Fran, um, that, that familial connection as well of, of that, that type of love that really... It's, it's, it's a beautiful monologue just kind of laying out her... I get the sense that it was like her one visit that that uh, Enrique remembers of her. She came and visited once. She brought canned food and just like this, this really um, this evocative uh, sensory monologue from Enrique about her visit. Yeah, and and the way that all of this ends up like gluing itself together is in 
a, a, an hour long, at least reading experience is all I've had so far. That is so many things at once. It's sort of spotlight on this spot. I think I, you know, I think I said non sequitur earlier. It's sort of there. There scenes that are connected, as you pointed out rightly. The narratives there are different narratives that go through, but scene to scene, it can be a little hard to say who am I, where am I. Who is, I mean, you know, Jerry bursts into the play in the middle <laughs> with no introduction and does just a whole uh, monologue about his parking ticket. And that's kind of all you get of him till the very end of the play. Yeah. And he comes back for a dance lesson. And I suppose that it's up to the production team to do the character introduction by way of costuming, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, no, just 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 regularly, you're kind of taking a step back. You're 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 trying to reposition yourself. Time is a little wibbly wobbly in this in this production. You have to really pay attention to kind of figure out. Oh, a year or two has passed um, between, especially between the letters. Um, you, you get you get the letters, and then Enrique shows up, and Enrique is played by an adult. So that's a fun dynamic as well to have this kind of. Uh, uh, trying to figure out how old Enrique is at any given moment. And, and at least at least Enrique was in the signature theater. Production. That's true. I don't know that I, I can't speak confidently that that's what every production team chooses to do or even that that's what she intended, although she did direct it. So you'd think that that's what <laughs> her goal was. Right, right, right. <laughs> But yeah, it's just you're you're kind of welcomed into this this kind of questioning space um, where you're you're not you're not there to find every one of the answers. You're there to kind of experience these folk stories, experience the 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 kind of beauty of of this play, the music, the dance, and all of it kind of harmonizing together. And harmonizing in a way that 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 seems intentionally designed to put you through divergent experiences one after another in order to connect the threads of what each character is the the narrative that they're on over however many years the play takes place over you have to follow those characters into scenes that are that are not chron- that are not placed next to each other. And I mean, it's not like we watch a mini play about Joe and Mark, and then a mini play about Luis and Enrique, and a mini play about. I mean, all of these different pieces are one after another, different places on the set, different moments in time, different spatially across in the world of the play across the world. And she, you know, she's known for how incredibly different all of her plays are. So this is a choice in the crafting of this play. And I have to believe it's also part of this commentary on these sort of impulses of the human life, one of them being love, and how though they're not clean, you know, they're not, uh, love of any kind is not a clean narrative. My love for the different people I have in my life, like Fran's love for the different people she has in her life, she's the centerpiece of all this, is not disconnected from the love that I have for other people in my life. And the way that those people come into my life and out of my life is not a clean, plotted out, moment-by-moment story. It's this web of here and there and time and relationship and all of it. Yeah, and you and and you just don't always get to know every beat along the way, <laughs> and 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 you get that in in the in the way that Mark by the second time they bring up uh, the the kind of love triangle that's going on, Mark is asking Joseph whether or not 
he's told her anything yet. So you get the sense pretty quickly that this is developed. Now it's Mark asking Joseph if Joseph has talked to Fran. Um, the last scene we were engaged in the storyline, they were pillow fighting about their love with <laughs> love for Fran. So, so yeah, it's just, it's, it is this kind of loose, uh, dropping in on on moments and and even the way Fran interacts with those moments with dance um, for the most part. I think there's really only one scene where Fran has any lines in the play, if I'm remembering correctly. I think she's got a couple, but they are very, very few. And not only do you have to find amidst the... Not only is the play so divergent in terms of its plotting stories, but as we've said a couple of times, in the way the story is told too. And for the the Joe, Mark, and Fran storyline is a really good example of that because, as you just mentioned, there's this scene at the beginning of the play where they have like a picnic friendship time together. That's just movement. There's no lines associated with that beat of the play. But I think it is supposed to be the beat story setup for the later conversation about how Fran isn't around anymore. I mean, I don't think those things happen near each other in time. I think there are years that occur between the, the fun picnic friend scene and the scene where the, the boys reflect on the fact that she's not around. So the story has to follow from the movement piece into the dialogue, the text exchanges between the two characters, and then further on into more movement. As as we mentioned a couple of times, Joe and Fran have this lovely dance where they, they finally come together in their relationship. And of course, that... That is just such a lovely reflection on human life, too, right? I mean, the memories of my relationship with any of the people I love is not all, like, just little scenes. Right. It's, like, moments where there's no words, and then some moments where there are, and then some moments where there's not. Yeah, moments of clarity over 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 10 years of these characters' lives, these kind of pillar moments where you where you go back and you're like, oh, yeah, we had that stupid conversation about poems that one day. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, then that that kind of uh, selective memory experience that is still so rich. So the letters play such an important role in what the story is. Uh, the play's called Letters from Cuba. Right, it's, it's in famously, the title. Like I said, based on the letters from her brother. Very important. So it's basically amount, what amounts to a series of monologues that are these letters. And there's some movement, of course, visual storytelling aspects to it. How does how does she keep those from just being boring? Hmm. Well, there's a lot of uh, a lot of intrigue around the fact that we don't. I don't believe we have any letters from Fran. Um, there there are no letters where she writes back. So it's it is an all one sided conversation. Um, the, the the so so you have a there's this kind of hanging on the words. Uh, piece of it where you're you're desperately trying to figure out what their relationship is so you're you're really engaged with all the clues that that Luis is dropping and 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 how how to figure out who these characters are what they're what they're doing how he's going to get to get to Fran if he if he can um and and then of course the the way that he reveals his life to Fran and what's going on for him through Enrique's birth and and their ongoing uh choice as to whether whether to come to New York or not yeah, a lot more people are familiar with the play Intimate Apparel by Lynn Nottage. We talked about that one of the, the you know, opening episode of one of our seasons. And that play has a similar letter device for the first half. And similarly to this play, it's it's a one-sided conversation where 
the one character reflects on the fact that they are receiving letters from the other person, but we don't ever get any of those letters. And both in Intimate Apparel and in this play, Letters from Cuba, the letters are just, they're like delightfully present. Like they happen in the now. They're not just excuses to give a bunch of, uh, you know, character introduction. They're not just excuses for somebody to tell you how they feel. They are, there are things that are happening in the action of the play, right? Lewis and his family are deciding whether or not to leave. And the letters that we get from him are his description of what that decision is like. There's that delightful moment where he says it's, you know, it's three in the morning and my wife Anna is sleeping and she's turning to me and asking, are you, did you finish the letter yet? These are things that are happening right now in the life of this character. And, and that continues. I'm thinking of the, the, the letter that he's writing as he's like trying to find the documents he needs to try to get through Mexico. Um, and, and he's just kind of stream of conscious writing but but it's it is this kind of visceral really engaging stuff like and it's and it's i mean it's <laughs> again this how how do you make mundane this visceral i don't i don't really know but it's he's writing about needing to find the right papers to try to get across um get across the border from mexico into the states so so yeah it's it's it just continues each of the letters have its own like uh flavor of everyday normal life and yet intensely interesting. Yeah. And and they're all like, they could all be almost not all of them, but a lot of them could be pulled from the text and just delivered as a lovely little story of its own. Yeah. Thinking of the, just the really great, very short paragraph long little letter monologue that he gives about how it's so hot right then in Cuba and they their siestas are going on yeah and he it's a just a great little commentary about how Americans think of siestas as this sort of example of laziness and in reality and it's an example of hard work because you choose to take your rest in the heat of the day so that when it's nice out later on and you could be recreationing with your friends like Americans do they're actually going back to work right this is his point it's a great monologue that could totally exist separate from the play but in the context of the play it's part of these letters of someone who is clearly an intelligent deep thinker i mean if nothing else we learned that about louise mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i think you see that 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 form then then kind of flipped in enrique enrique essentially writes or or talks about like this really deep experience that he's had. It could be in, in the inverse of your comment, it could be a letter that he's writing to his aunt Fran, but instead it is, it is a theatrical monologue that he's kind of breaking forth wall maybe or something and, and delivering it as a monologue. So the character Fran, as you've said, has very few lines in the play. A lot of the vast majority of her character development, the, the sense of who she is and how she does what she does, her negotiations with other characters happens through movement and dance, and so they require a choreographer to to plot out. The text that we do get from her, there's two moments that I think are I think are really important to understanding perhaps what some of what Fornis is trying to do in such an uh, a play that is a 
uh, tying together so many different things. She has a lot, her first spoken lines, I believe, if I have missed a, a short spoken line somewhere else, I apologize. But if, if I have, it's very small. Her short scene of any real significance where she's speaking is uh, she's in the mo- she's in the apartment with her artist friends, and she's dancing to the guitar music that Joseph is playing. And she's as she does it, she describes this dance that she saw at one time, and how or or um, uh, Martha Graham saw, not her. I'm sorry, it's a story that she's telling, and how. Martha saw this dancer drop a rose. She thought it was an accident. And then she says this, Martha was puzzled. She learned that those moments in a dance can make it magic. Now, I'm thinking you're going to agree with me on this, Jackson, but I'll ask anyway. Did you have moments of puzzlement in this play? (laughs) Certainly, yes. (laughs) And might it not be that something that Vornis is saying is that those moments of puzzlement make it magic? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, certainly that that, that is is a... That that little that brief aside story kind of sets up. It's pretty early in the play. It's like scene five out of a, a twenty some little scene uh, a play, and it sets up the the kind of mood that you should engage this with, which is that this is a magical thing that's happening, and it's okay to be puzzled. You're it'll be fine. <laughs> You'll still enjoy the experience, and maybe it'll make the experience better um, as as a result of that puzzlement. And theater as an experience is magical and puzzling. I mean, we sit feet away from someone pretending to be someone else and just go along with the idea that, at least in a play with a fourth wall, that they can't see me, but I can see them. It's a very strange experience. And as so many great theater artists over the eons have done, she leans into the strangeness and presents something that is full of stage magic. Yeah, The ability to go through walls and into different countries and to, to, to be living in two moments at once, both the moment of the writing of a letter and the reading of a letter while a character is standing up on the ceiling, on the roof of the character, <laughs> reading the... I mean, it's just they're just magical if you can picture it. And not everybody will be able to picture it. So reading it is, is difficult, as we started this conversation. By right, saying. right. But this is one of those plays that I just... I really, really want to see interpreted by strong director, strong ensemble. Because I think it has the potential to be something really, really moving, really, really incredible. And and well choreographed as well, just like all, all the dance elements, all the ways that that works works into the production. I think it, I think it'd be a terrific, I agree. I, if, if it's anywhere within my sphere of existence, I'm going to like make whatever trip I have to do to try to go see it. Um, I, I think I think we're kind of wrapping up for, for this week with this one. So I will also extend that invitation to all of you all out there. If you hear of a of, of production, go ahead and find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and let us know where it is because I wouldn't mind driving to see it. Um, Also, if you've read the play, if you've ever been in the play or if you've seen the play before, we'd love to continue having this conversation with you. Uh, Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast. We also have the Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on any of those sites. We'd love to keep talking about Letters from Cuba with you. 
Absolutely. And if you'd like to recommend this podcast to someone that you know, friends, family members, that's a great help to us. You probably know somebody who likes play scripts, who likes theater, who would like this conversation. Send them to Podbean, where we're hosted, to Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. If they're connected with us on Facebook, they'll see that we post a link to each new episode as it comes out on Monday. So that's a really easy place to grab the new episodes as well. Thank you to all of you who have already done that. I see the the, the tweets to folks recommending the podcast, so thank you to everyone out there doing that. Yeah, um, we just had like a German theater share one of uh, the advertisements for an upcoming episode, yeah, yeah. and I couldn't understand anything about it except for the German word for podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you all of those around the world who are listening to No Script Podcast. Until next week when we're talking about another play, I am Jackson Nikolai. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script, the podcast. We'll see you.